How are we all? All right, let's get around it. Why don't you quickly stand to your feet? We're gonna, I'm going to start by reading the Word of God. And uh, it's good to stand in the presence of the Lord. It starts in 1 Samuel chapter 21 from verse 1 to 3. Then I'll jump to verse 7 to 9. We'll pray and we'll get into it. It says this, David went to the town called Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and he asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Verse 7, now one of Saul's servants was there, Saul's servants, that day detained before the Lord, and he was Doeg. Everyone say Doeg, the Edomite. Dirty Doeg. Dirty, dirty Doeg. Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active. We thank you that it's powerful. Would you speak today? Father, anything that's of me may fall to the ground and may your word just move and soften our hearts and do what you want to do. Lord, may it not just be another day in the house, but may it be an encounter with you, we pray. We love you, Lord. We give you glory and honor. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. If you're a, a note taker, I'm preaching today on the topic of dealing with Doeg, finding peace in anxious times. Dealing with Doeg, finding peace in ancient times. I am very keen to preach today. It's been two weeks since I got to preach, and for me, that feels like a very long time. It's exciting to be in the house of God. We also had our keyboard, which has been out of action for ages, fixed this week. So I've had a, I've had a good soak in worship, and I'm fired up and ready to get stuck into it. We're back into our Prepared for Purpose series. So we're looking at the life of David in between two windows this time uh, where God has ordained and he has anointed David for kingship, but he's not yet appointed. And instead of just following the red carpet all the way to the throne, God sends him out a window and he spends 20 years in hiding. And we're looking at the idea that God's hand is in the hidden years. That so often in life when we face difficult seasons, we see those seasons as the absence of God. We complain and we wonder why God's not moving. No, God's hand is in it. God's hand is with you in it. Just this week, I caught up with a mate in ministry and we were chatting about all things ministry and other things. And one of the other things we talked about was fitness. And he said to me, Dave, I really want to get fit, but I don't want to exercise. <laughs> and I was like, bro, I think, I think you've missed the, like, something significant through your high schooling years. Your PE teacher forgot to teach you some stuff. You can't get fit without exercise. Growth physically, whether it be muscular growth or aerobic growth, let's not get too much into exercise physiology, but all of that, that only happens 
through submitting yourself to resistance. Like growth is tension over time, sustainable tension over time. And as you submit your body to difficulty, the body adapts to that difficulty and changes. And that's what happens physically. It's as we submit ourselves to tension over time, we grow. The same is true for our character. The same is true for our heart. The same is true for what God would have for us, where if life is always easy and comfortable, we'll never grow. But God's heart for his people is that we would grow, that we'd grow in the likeness of Christ, that we would grow as disciples. And in order to grow, we actually have to go through the stuff we don't want to go through, but it's in the going through it that we're submitting to tension over time. Paul, how does he put it? He says, the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. You see, if you want to walk in hope, if you want to be filled with hope, that actually comes through a season of testing. A faith that is not tested is a fragile faith. A faith that endures is a faith that's got some guts, got some Roots that go down deep. Pick your analogy. A faith that's got some muscle on it. Faith is like a muscle. Use it and it will grow. Who remembers that song as a kid? (laughs) Anyway. And so we're here today. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we're looking at David and we're saying, we know that this this time between two windows, it started as, as God sent him out. And the first place he ran to was the prophet. And he ran to the prophet Samuel. And as he ran to the prophet, he was looking for a word. And he didn't get that word through a mouth, but he got that word through what happened to Saul. And so then he left the prophet and he ran to the prince. You remember that? He ran to Jonathan. And he ran to Jonathan not looking for a word, but looking for wisdom. He was looking for counsel. He wanted some advice on what he should do. Should he stay? Is this a serious thing or do I need to go? And he gets the word, you got to go. So he gets wisdom from Jonathan. And now he's going to run from a prince to the priests. But he's not looking for a word and he's not looking for wisdom. What's he looking for? He's looking for a weapon. And here's the fascinating thing. As as we take a little run through a couple of chapters of Scripture, what you're going to see is the weapon he seeks is not the weapon he needs. And the weapon he gets is not the weapon he expected. But the weapon he gets changes his circumstance. It does something in him. It refines him. It's all a part of God's hand preparing him to become the person God is calling him to be. It is so good. And as I was preparing this, I spent, I spent days on this, like diving in going, Lord, how the heck am I going to preach this thing? There's so much in it. I had like seven different sermons. I'm like, we've only got one. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? And I felt like God said, just zoom out. Take a little helicopter. Take a little helicopter and have a look at this whole thing in context. And the Lord has just opened my heart and eyes to some stuff. And I'm praying and believing that God is going to bless you today. And this is the phrase he put on my heart. Let's not be a people who come to church expecting information. Let's come to church being a people who expect revelation. God actually wants us to receive an encounter when we walk in these doors. The Sunday service is about encountering God. It's not just about coming and learning something, going, that was interesting and taking off. No, no, no. God meets his people. That's what makes it worship. God comes to his people. He came to his people on the mountain. Every time there's worship, God meets his people. 
Do you believe that the living God of eternity of heaven wants to meet you where you are at right here, right now, this day? Amen? Anybody with me? Let's come expectant for what God wants to do in and through His Word. So, 1 Samuel chapter 21. David flees the prince and he runs to Ahimelech, the priest. And where Ahimelech is, there's 85 other priests. And it's a small little town. That's where the tabernacle is. For those of you who know your biblical history, the tabernacle was the place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt in those days. And so David runs to Ahimelech and he has an agenda. And you see, he's just left Jonathan and the word has been yet, Saul is trying to kill you. There's trouble on the horizon. And so David's like, where do I go? What do I do? And the word says he runs to Ahimelech. And as he runs to Ahimelech, he's looking for supply. He, he has some needs. He's like, well, if Saul, who's got an army, the army that I had commanded is after me, I need, like, I need some supply. I need a weapon. I need something to put my hope in. I need something that I can trust in. I need something to put my confidence in so that if he comes, I know I'll be okay. And he runs to Ahimelech. He runs to the tabernacle. Here's my question. Why does he run there? Like of all the places you could go, why there? And it's because he knows there's a weapon waiting at the tabernacle. He asked the question saying, hey, 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 where's the, like, is there a sword here? He asked that question, but he knows it's there. Because for you Bible readers, you know that after David slaughtered Goliath, the Bible tells us that he took that sword of Goliath and he brought it to his tent, didn't he? This is fascinating. The right thing to do, the culturally appropriate thing to do, if you win a great victory for your king, is you bring the spoils of that victory to your king. You dedicate whatever it is, the spoil that you have taken, and you bring it to the king as as an act of honour. David doesn't take Goliath's sword after he's cut Goliath's head off. He doesn't take that sword to Saul. He brings it to his own tent. And you're like, how arrogant. But is that the David we know? Uh -uh -uh. What's David done? David has taken the spoils of that victory and he has dedicated it to the king. Just not the earthen king. He's dedicated it to the king of kings. He's taken it all the way to the town of Nob. He's taken it to Ahimelech and he has dedicated it to the Lord because he knows that it was the Lord who brought about a great victory for him on that day. He knows that he did not come against Goliath in his own strength or in the strength of Saul. He even says it to Goliath when Goliath is like, who are you who comes against me? He's like, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom against whom you have defied. Like he knows who brought him that victory. And so after that victory, he puts the sword in his tent and it's clear that he then at some point along the journey, goes to the tabernacle and dedicates that sword to the Lord. And the crazy thing about it is, is no one else really knows. The only people who would know is the priest and who the priest chose it to reveal it to. And so David knows, all right, I'm under stress, I'm under pressure. There's one place I can go to get a weapon and it is a weapon unlike any other. It's the greatest weapon the earth has to offer. There is none like it. That's what I'm seeking. I need that weapon. So he goes to Ahimelech. 
seeking something to hold on to, to give him strength. And as he goes there, a fascinating encounter happens because he rocks up at the tabernacle and obviously his heart, in the same way with Samuel, in the same way with Jonathan, is ready to just go, like he did with Samuel and Jonathan. He's probably ready to get in around Ahimelech and be like, bro, you will not believe what's going on. And he just wants to pour it all out to this, this person. But as he walks into the tabernacle, he looks across and who does he see? Dirty Doeg. He sees Saul's servant. And he's clearly, the Bible says, it translates it the chief shepherd, but it's really interesting. The language there is fascinating because it could easily also be translated chief of uh, his soldiers as well. So Doeg's not just like this meek, mild person who cares for the sheep. Doeg's like, firstly, he's a defector from the Edomites. And now he's serving Saul and he, he's a significant person and he's a bit of a warrior. And because he's faced, David's facing a a warrior, he starts to worry. And he comes in, wanting to unload to Ahimelech. He looks over, he sees Doeg, and he freaks out. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had conflict with someone? Or I, you've already, I've, I already hear it. You know what I'm talking about. You walk, into a, you walk into what you think is a safe place, and you walk in that room, and the person you've been in conflict with, or someone very close to the person you've been in conflict with, is right there. What happens to you? Come on, somebody, you got to feed back to me. You freak out. <laughs> like you got sweat running down places you didn't know sweated. Your heart rate, like your heart is like beating out of your chest. You are like stressed out of your mind. Fear, anxiety. Tension, your whole body is like, what the heck am I supposed to do? And it's crazy what happens. Because instead of being able to just be yourself, what happens to you? You start to fumble and bumble. You, everything feels strange and weird and discombobulated. And here's the thing that we see in the life of David. I want to point out a few things that happen to us when we're driven by fear. You see, David, as he walks in and he sees Doeg and he's overcome with this sense of fear and anxiety... This, fear, this, this feeling of stress that overwhelms his body conceals that which he should reveal. He doesn't tell Ahimelech the truth. Go back. Verse 2, David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. No, he didn't. That's a lie. That's a flat out lie. Why is he lying? Because Doeg's there. Because he's seen Doeg. He's like, man, I can't tell the truth here. If I tell the truth, who knows what Doeg's going to do? So he, he just lies. He flat out lies to the priest. And because he lies to the priest, in his heart, he's like, I'm lying. I'm concealing the truth of this matter because I'm trying to protect myself and I'm trying to protect the priesthood. But actually, because he lies, he conceals what he should reveal. Ahimelech has no idea what's going on. And Ahimelech is therefore not able to react to the truth. And there he, later on in this passage, which we'll read in a minute, he ends up going to Saul and gets murdered along with 85 other priests by the very man through whom David concealed what he should have revealed, Doeg. 
Doeg slaughters 85 priests in an entire town. And they, the reason that Ahimelech is not aware that there's tension is because David doesn't tell the truth. Friends, when we are driven by fear, when we are driven by anxiety, we will conceal that which we should reveal. We will start to hide the truth. But we need to know that it's the truth that sets us free. Amen? And you start to know that fear is running your life because instead of telling the truth, instead of being open everywhere you go, you start to feel this veil that I can't be honest, I can't be open, and it's called politicizing. <laughs> you ever met with a politician? I hope there's some politicians in the house. Be truthful, brothers and sisters. So often they'll just tell you whatever you want to hear because they're trying to politicize. They're trying to manipulate and move and do it their way. Uh-uh, that's not what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible calls us to speak the truth in love. Come on, somebody. And when we start to speak the truth in love, fear starts to subside and we start to walk in faith because we know that greater is he that's living in me than he that is in the world, amen? Greater is he that's living in me so I can start to speak the truth in love. David conceals what he should reveal because he is driven by faith. Now, he grabs, verse nine, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Allah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Verse 10, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. I beg your pardon? I wish I had some Bible readers here because you'd be freaking out right now. The king of Gath. Where did the sword come from? Where did Goliath come from? Gath. David gets the greatest weapon that exists on the earth, the sword of the very giant who he killed, and he thinks, great, I've got the sword of Goliath. Now I'm so terrified. I'm so full of fear and anxiety. I'm so stressed about Doeg and Saul. Where can I go? I know, I'll go to Gath. I'll bring the very sword that cut off Goliath's head to the very place that's trying to destroy me and has been out to get me for years and years and years. Friends, when we are driven by fear, when we are driven by anxiety, we will do dumb stuff. Amen? I won't get you to put your hands up. How many of you in a moment of fear have done something stupid? You just made, oh, I said I won't make you put your hand up, but amen, preach, speak the truth in love. So often, so often when we're driven by fear and anxiety, we run to that which is out to destroy us. So often we go to Gath when Gath is the place, the last place we should go. So often, how many times do we, when we're feeling anxious, we're feeling stressed, we're under the pump, we're flustered and we're fretting, do we run to that which was already, it's bound us and over and over again we run to Gath. We make dumb decisions when we're driven by fear. We make dumb decisions when we're driven by anxiety. And David makes a dumb decision. He takes the sword of Goliath and he's like, where can I go? I'm so stressed. He finds himself in Gath. And when he gets to Gath, all of a sudden he realises, wow, what a dumb decision. <laughs> the king of the Philistines is not for me. He is against me. And so what does he do? 
If you read these few verses, it says that David, uh, so he pretended to be insane in their presence. That's verse 13. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate, letting saliva run down his beard. I love that little bit. It says, in, while he was in their hands. David has handed himself over to the hands of his enemy. But here's the powerful word for each and every one of us. God is still sovereign over David's life and call. Even though David has made a terrible choice, even though David has returned to Gath, he has gone to Gath, God does not forsake him in that place, even when he is in their hands. God gives him the wisdom to pretend to be insane. God gives him the wisdom to pretend to be insane. So David in this moment lets saliva run down his face. He scratches at the door. Akish, the king, has David handed to him on his platter by David's own decision. But God won't let Akish cut off his head. Uh, uh, uh. God's like, pretend to be insane. David does it. And then Akish is like, far out. I've got enough maniacs in my kingdom. He actually says it. That's the word that he uses, the Hebrew word. I've got enough maniacs in my kingdom. What do I want with this guy? And he goes, just get rid of him. Friends, if you've gone back to Gath, God has not forsaken you. His grace, his mercy, his provision, his heart is for you. When God has put something on you, one bad decision will not destroy that. No, you get on your knees, you pray to a glorious, mighty, faithful, incredible God, and you say, Father, forgive me, Father, have mercy on me, and God will bring you through. The Bible tells you that his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Come on, somebody. His mercies are new every morning. I wonder if some of you need to hear that today. I wonder if some of you have returned to Gath. You've been in and out of Gath far too much and you need to hear the word. His mercies are new every morning, but it's time to get out of Gath. David has to make the decision. You've got to get out of Gath. It's time to leave there. That place is not good for you. That place is going to destroy you. That place is here to bind you. That place is here to hold you captive. Get out of Gath. Receive the mercy of God. Turn around and walk out of there. And David leaves Gath. He leaves Gath, but here's the thing. He's still driven by fear. He's still stressed. He's still full of anxiety. Where does he go? Chapter 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Everyone say Adullam. It's a fun word to say. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt, or discontented, gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So David leaves Gath, and he goes to the cave of Adullam, the stronghold of Adullam. Now, what's his headspace? Friends, this is where the Bible is so awesome, because you don't have to guess. We have the Psalms, and David wrote the Psalms, and he wrote a Psalm in the cave of Adullam. Go to Psalm 142. When David is in the cave of Adullam, this is 
his headspace. This is what he wrote. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before the Lord. I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way in the path where I walk. People have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, watch this. There is no one at my right hand. There is no one concerned for me. I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. How many people are around David right now? 400. How does David feel? Alone. You ever been in that place? Surrounded but not supported? In a crowd yet completely alone? You can be in a church like this with lots of people and feel completely isolated. That's what fear, that's what anxiety, that's what this stuff does to us. David is still full of fret. He's still full of tension. His eyes are still on his circumstance and his countenance reflects it. And so he writes Psalm 142 being like, God, I'm alone. Where the heck are you? What is going on? And he's in a stronghold surrounded by 400 people. And this is the reality of what can happen to us. We can feel so incredibly alone when fear is driving the ship. And the other thing that it can do to us is it can make us despise that resource that God has given us. You see, God sends David 400 people, but David looks around and he goes, they're in debt, they're distressed and they're discontented. What a crew. (laughs) Man, they're going to be helpful, aren't they? I'm all alone, Lord. I'm all alone. It's like the story of the guy drowning as the floodwaters rise and the canoe comes along and goes, bro, you want to lift? He's like, no, I prayed to God and God's going to deliver me. Off he goes. And then the floodwaters continue. You've heard the story. Then the boat comes and then the helicopter comes and then he ends up in heaven. He's like, God, why didn't you provide for me? He's like, I sent you a canoe. I sent you a boat and I sent you a helicopter, bro. And this is what happens to us. So often we're like, God, where are you? God's like, look to your left. Don't despise that person. They might not look like you want them to look, but they're my person that you need in this moment to help get you through. All right? God even prepped David for this moment. He said, remember, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God's going to look at the heart. You will not believe what God can do through a motley crew. God can change the world through 12 fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, God can do immeasurably more than we hope or imagine if only we would realise that that which He has put in our life is for our good and not for our bad, as long as we're out of Gath and we're in His presence. Friends, God wants to bring revival to the Adelaide Hills. God wants to bring revival to this nation. God wants to bring transformation and He wants to do it through you. And He wants to do a work in your life. And He wants you to know that you are not alone, no matter what you're going through. Stop being driven by fear and anxiety and the stresses of this world. He has put people in your path. Open your eyes. See what God has brought you. And know this, that for King David, these 400 people, 400 debted, discontented, disillusioned dropouts are the very 400 people who become His mighty men and who take Him from the cave to the crown. 
God can do it. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Oh, I believe God has so much more in store for us as a church. I believe that the promises that God has put on your life, the promises that God has put in your heart, He will bring it to pass. And He has put people right there in your situation right now to walk the journey with you. Let them in. Stop concealing. Ahimelech was there to help David lied. These 400 men were there to help. David didn't let them in. He kept them at a distance. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. Let them in. Good intentioned, faithful people. Don't be afraid to expose the hidden place. It might be painful. You might think that they can't handle it, but if they're God's person, they're going to be there to help carry you. They're sent from God. Amen? David's living in that place. He goes to the stronghold, and he's still so fearful. He takes his mum and dad, and he drops them off at the king of Moab. Now, Moab's, I'm just carrying on in the passage here. Moab's a friend to David. Moab, it, it's, a, it's, place, it's not God's place, but it's, it, they've been a friend to him, and he looks after his, uh, his mum and dad, and it says that David, go, they stayed there as long as David stayed in the stronghold. Something fascinating happens. David has set himself up in the stronghold. And as he set himself up in the stronghold with 400 people feeling all alone, a word comes to him from the prophet called Gad. Everyone say Gad. And as Gad comes to David, he brings this powerful word. Chapter 22, verse 5, the prophet Gad said to David, remember how disillusioned he is, do not stay in the stronghold. Do not stay in the stronghold of your own wisdom and your own imagination. Do not stay in the place that you have carved out for yourself. Do not stay in the place of your own personal security, your own personal walls, because that place is a cave and that will become a prison. Do not stay in that stronghold. No, 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 no. You need to go into the land of Judah. Everyone say Judah. Go to the land of Judah. Leave the stronghold. Leave the cave of Adullam. Leave this place of your own making. Leave what seems to be strong. Leave the strength of men behind you. That might seem like a good idea. That might seem like a safe place. But David, it's the same as you looking for the sword of Goliath. The weapons of man will not prevail in this circumstance. No, no, you need the weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit. I want to give you a different weapon. You're seeking hope in this. Let me bring you hope over here. Listen to me. Stop trying to do it all your own way. Go in your own place. Doing it in your own strength. No, no, it's time to go to Judah. It might not make sense, David. But if my spirit is leading, you've got to pick yourself up. You've got to leave that stronghold and go to Judah. Who knows what Judah means? Praise. Oh, I feel like preaching, but I've got to hold on one second. Watch this. 1 Samuel 22, he hears the word from Gad, go to Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Now, verse 6 the scene changes and we have Saul under a tamarisk tree carrying a spear. Who knows what happens when Saul has a spear in his hand? Launch. 
Twice we've seen this spear be aimed right at David's chest. When Saul's got a spear, he's on a mission, he's angry, and he's seeking someone's life. And the life he's seeking is David's. And Saul, this is so interesting. David, we've just seen, stressed, fearful, anxious. Listen to Saul, the guy with the army, the guy with all the numbers. Listen to him. He said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give you all the fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son, Jonathan, makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, David. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. Who does that sound like? It sounds like David. <laughs> He's stressed. He's out of his mind. He's trying to do it his way. And this is the lesson David has to learn. Saul's already got himself in trouble for this. Saul's already been like, he's lost the anointing of God because he's trying to do it his way. God's trying to teach something, David, in all of this. He puts them side by side. David, that's not you. That's not what I'm calling you to. That's not what a man after my own heart does. That's not how you act, David. That's how Saul acts. And what happens as Saul says all this, Doeg the Edomite shows up. Dirty Doeg. And he's standing with Saul's officials. He's like, oh, I know where David is. I saw him. I saw him at the tabernacle. I saw him with the priest. So Saul, what does he do? Sends for the priest. Isn't that interesting? And now in this moment, because David concealed what he should have revealed, Ahimelech and the priest have no idea what's coming. And Saul questions Ahimelech and Ahimelech's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, Since, why would I not look after David? He goes, he's like the captain of your bodyguard. He's the most loyal soldier you have. Why, I've, I've counseled him a thousand times. Why would I not help him now? And Saul's like, you betrayed me. And he says to his men, I want you to kill him. And all Saul's men go, heck no, we're not going to lay a hand on the priest of the Lord, but watch who does. Then the king ordered, hang on, I've missed it. The king ordered, so he ordered, that the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priest dogs. Then the king ordered Doeg, dirty Doeg, you turn and strike down the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword, Nob, the town of the priest with all its men, all its women, all its children and infants, all its cattle, donkeys and sheep. Doeg destroys an entire town trying to earn Saul's favour. A destruction that could have been avoided if David had told the truth. And because he's following the orders of someone driven by fear and anxiety. But watch this. You're about to see a shift. But one of Ahimelech, one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahiatab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. I am responsible for the death of your whole family. A lesson to leaders, wear it. Don't pass the buck. Don't make other people take your fall. Wear it. 
be responsible for your decisions. I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Now, listen to this, verse 23. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. Huh? The guy who took Goliath's sword to Gath, full of fear, the guy who then hid in the stronghold and hid his mum and dad, full of fear, the guy who was told to get out of the stronghold and go to Judah, is now saying, don't be afraid. What's happened to David? Isn't this awesome? What's happened to him? And listen to his headspace. Let's jump back into the Psalms. You got a couple more minutes? You all right? Let's jump back into the Psalms. You're going to see something. Because again, David wrote a Psalm here. Just before he wrote Psalm 142, full of like stress. Watch this. Now he writes Psalm 52. And instead of being fearful of Doeg, he mocks Doeg. Listen. Psalm 52, why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? It's like, he's mocking him. Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see in fear. They will laugh at you saying, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold. He just had a stronghold. He left a stronghold and something is twigged because he's understood that the cave of Adullam, the, the strongholds of men are not the strongholds of the spirit. No, God is our stronghold. And strong men and women find refuge in the wings of God. And then listen to this, verse eight, but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. That's a slightly different perspective from what we saw before, isn't it? I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of the Lord. How are you going, David? Well, I'm going pretty well, thank you. I feel light. In fact, I feel like an olive tree flourishing in the house of the Lord. Next time someone asks you how you're going, oh, I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of the Lord, ready to pour out forth the oil of the Spirit upon all those who would come into my presence. Like there's this, there's this awesome just peace that's on him, isn't there? There's a peace that passes all understanding. What's shifted? What shifted for him? He stopped trusting in the sword of Goliath. He stopped trusting in the strongholds of men and he went to Judah. He went to praise. Instead of running to his problem, instead of running to politicizing, he ran to praise. He went to Judah. God has a word for us today in the midst of fear anxiety, stress, difficult seasons, whatever it is you're going through, maybe, just maybe it's time to go to Judah. Maybe when we wake up in the morning, instead of fixing our eyes upon all of that which is coming against us, fix our eyes upon the Lord. Maybe it's time to stop putting on the garments of worry. The Bible says put on the spirit, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The Bible tells us to praise God, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, like a thousand times. Why does it tell us that? 
Because it's for our good. God doesn't have an inferiority complex. He's not there going, praise me, praise me, praise me. No, he's like, you need to learn to praise God in the midst of your circumstance so that your countenance is not determined by your circumstance, but by my finished work at the cross. Praise me. And there's something that happens in the spirit. There's something that happens in our souls when we begin to praise God. What it does is it changes our focus. It changes our perspective because instead of seeing Doeg, the Edomite, we see the deliverer of heaven standing at the right hand of God who gave his spirit, who is for you and not against you. It's time to recognise that the weapons of the world will not prevail in this season. We need to fight with the weapons of God. He has given us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of the God. He calls us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. There is a weapon that God has given His people and it is good and it is powerful and it is effective. As Thea said before, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and it avails much. Oh, what would it be like if the church went to Judah? Come on, someone. Can we go to Judah this week? Band, you can come up. We need to close. Can we go to Judah this week? I'll tell you, it's been so good for my soul and all I needed was a keyboard. And then I spent the afternoon, I'm going, why the heck did I wait for a keyboard? You with me? Why did I wait for a keyboard? I don't need a keyboard to worship God. I don't need a keyboard to sit there and be like, Lord, just let me soak in your presence. Sing a cappella. doesn't matter if you can't sing a lick. Just declare who he is. Just proclaim his name. Just declare his goodness in the land of the living. As we lift up who he is and we start to realize, oh, greater is he that's living in me than he that's in the world. Wow, I'm held in the palm of his hand. Wow, he, like, he shelters me. He loves me. He's for me and he's not against me. And we realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. And we start to pick up the sword of the Spirit. We start to pick up the weapons He's given us. We will see deliverance. You will see breakthrough. And the church needs breakthrough right now, yeah? Oh, come on. It would be so good if we went to Judah. It'd be so good if we went to Judah. It changes David's whole perspective. And it's such a lesson that he had to learn. That if he's going to lead the people of Israel, he needs to learn to be the least anxious presence in a room. And the way you become the least anxious presence in a room is by realising who's holding you. And how good he is. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Judah right now. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. I want to invite... Ben to move this thing if that's okay brother oh you can't Mitchie can or Steve can someone can and I'm not just preaching to the people in this room I'm preaching to everyone watching online let's go to Judah and we're going to open up this space for for prayer and if anyone here just wants to be encouraged you want prayer you're like Lord I just need some prayer Let's do it. Come and get prayed for. And it doesn't have to be by me or by another. Just get prayed for. Like say, I want prayer. I want to fix my focus. I want to change my perspective. I want to invite you to come. Come and receive prayer. Come and pray for somebody else.
Let's not make Sundays come, receive, go out the door and get back to whatever it is we're doing. No, no, come and encounter the living God. Come to Judah, to Judah, to Judah, to praise, to praise, to praise. For there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, we're about to sing a song, no weapon. What does it say? What's that line? I want, to, I want to quote the scripture. The weapon might be formed, but it won't prosper. The weapon might be formed. There is a weapon and it may be formed, but it won't prosper. Stop looking at Doeg. It's time to deal with Doeg. and time to be like, Doeg, I know who fights for me and he's way greater than you. You're just a dirty Doeg. I serve the King of Kings. I serve the Lord of Lords. I serve the one who will come again, riding on a white horse with a sword out of his mouth, who will roll up the heavens like a scroll and all of eternity, all of creation, every knee will bow and declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come, will declare worthy, worthy, worthy is the one who is and is to come. That's what the church needs to do. We need to pick up our praise and put down our problems and say, Lord, you've got it. You've got it. You're good. And I'm going to run in faith, not fear. And I will see deliverance and I will see breakthrough. I will see God's goodness in the land of the living. So come, let's pray, let's worship, let's praise our great God. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.